Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Anyways, we are in the book of Romans, chapter 1. And uh, we just finished really the first sort of seven verses talking about Paul and his... uh, just the introduction of the book, and basically have all the theology of the Christian church almost right here in the first four or five verses. You got the doctrine of the Bible, the gospel was in the Holy Scriptures. Paul said, I didn't make this up. We didn't go to a smoke-filled back room and come up with this. This was all there in the Bible. It was all spoken about. And uh, he talks about faith, and he said, I received this grace and apostleship. I'm an apostle with a little a. I have a responsibility to present Christ to people around me. By the way, we all do, don't we? All of us have, all of us have a responsibility to represent Christ. And I think um, the older I get, the more I understand that I either make God look good or bad in all my interactions. I'm either drawing people to Christ or I'm sort of pushing them away. Now, I might not say the name of Christ or anything, but my actions are going to speak of who I am. So when I get irritated with the waitress, that's bad. So I don't get irritated with waitresses anymore. By the way, you should tip 20%, just so you know. All right. Yeah, but the whole, whole, I'm joking here. The whole point is treat people with respect and dignity. And, you know, people are going to form their view of God based on you, whether you say it or not. If at some point you swing back and tell them about Christ, they're, they're going to remember when you lost your temper a while back. That's not going to work very well. Paul says, I, I live every day knowing that I'm representing Christ. And whatever I do, I represent him. And uh, he said, to bring about the obedience of faith in, in um, verse 5 there. What's the obedience of faith? What does God command people to do? The R word. Repent. Acts. God's commanded people everywhere to repent. What does it mean to repent? It just doesn't mean to change your mind about Jesus. That's what some people say. Well, I've changed my mind about Jesus. No, it's more than that. Biblical repentance is a turning. It's changing your mind with a resultant change in your behavior and your actions. When the people came to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist preached and repent, and they said, well, how do we do that? Well, you know, if, if somebody wants to go with a mile, go with them too. If someone asks for your coat, give them your cloak also. Soldiers, be content with your wages. The way it was in those days is it was your actions. Hebrews is all about that. Hebrews 11. How do we know that Rahab repented? She hid the spies. How do we know Moses repented? He left Egypt. And Paul's saying we're talking people, obedience among all people, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You, the church in Rome, who are the called. We're gonna, this call show pops up more and more, more and more, uh, or again and again here in the book of Romans. But he said, you're the call of Jesus Christ to all those who are in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. <coughs> to all you people in Rome whom God loves, and you're called to be saints. Now, we, you know, the saint word is one of those things we toss around a lot. You know, you go over to Europe and you see saint this and saint that and the church of saint whoever. But the Bible says we're all saints. What does it mean to be a saint? 
What? You follow Christ and you're set apart. Are you set apart? <clears throat> In what sense are you set apart? Well, I was identified with the world, now I'm set apart to Christ. All right? It just means the, the set apart ones. Are we set apart? Yeah, we're a peculiar people. We're set apart. We're all saints. Some of us are more saintly than others, but we're all saints. We're all called. I mean, Paul called the most carnal church on the planet at that time, Corinth. He said, you guys are saints. Now, if you went to Corinth, you'd have to talk yourself into that probably. But they're saints. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, his standard greeting, grace and peace. This is interesting. We're going to talk about peace later on, but when we think of peace, what do you think of? I think of peace. Tranquility. Tranquility, lack of conflict. All right? Now, do we have the peace of God? So we can be tranquil when everything's going on around us that doesn't, we don't like, basically. But there's also another component of peace, and that is the war with God is over, right? If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, are you at war with God? God is at war with you. People say, I don't, I'm not, you know, I, I like God. He's okay. No, that's not the point. You can like God all you want. God is at war with you. There's a war between us. We're going to see that in Romans 8. There's enmity. There's a conflict. Romans 5 talks about this as well. So the peace I think Paul's talking about here is a twofold component. Number one, I have the peace of God, but I also have peace with God. The war is over. God is no longer my enemy. And I, you know, people say, well, I'm not God's enemy. Yeah, you are. God has set his face against you. If you do not belong to him, you are his enemy, regardless of how you feel about it. And then what does he do here? And this is where we're going to pick up today, verse 8. First, primarily, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul thanks God. It's interesting. When you look at the Paul's prayers, think about Paul's prayers. You got, he talks about one here, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. What does he pray for? When Paul is praying to God for the churches, what is he praying for? In all of those prayers, what are some things he might be praying for? For salvation for people. Them to know Christ, to understand the riches, Ephesians, that you may understand the riches. Stay to stay strong in the face of adversity. To remain true. When Paul asks for prayers for himself, what's he usually pray for? Ask people to pray for. an open door of ministry, that I'm able to boldly proclaim the gospel, that I'm able to make a good defense. What things does Paul not ask prayer for? New jet. Yeah, new jet. He doesn't need a new jet, or in that case, a chariot. 
He didn't ask to get out of prison. He said, I'm in prison. Help me to be a good testimony there. Not that I would get out. And when he asked prayer for other people, is he praying for their illnesses and their diseases and all of that kind of stuff? Is that the focus? By the way, it's not wrong to pray for that stuff. Don't get me wrong on that. But what should our fo focus be? The focus should be a spiritual focus. What is God doing? Not my will, but thine be done. I mean, when Donna got sick, you know, our prayer request was that God would be honored. We had four things we prayed for. And the last of those was, you know, God would extend her life a little bit, which he did. He didn't extend as much as we wanted him to, but he did. We prayed for his will to be done. And, um, and what's we, his purpose? And that we will accept his will. That's the big one. See, see, that's the problem. Um, I just did a, I had my blog out there, and the blog I did just now was, Thy will be done, basically. And it was, a lot of times we pray for God's will to be done. You know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right, that's one of the main things. Christ tells us that's what we should be praying for. So how is God's will done in heaven? When you look at his will in heaven, how's it done? Um, when God says something, is there any argument or discussion among the angels as to whether that's a smart thing to do or not? Is there any dragging of anybody's feet up there? Like, you know, God tells angel Sam to go do something, and Sam says, look, you know, I'm, I'm tired. Give, tell Joe to go do it. Immediately. Joyfully. Nobody's questioning God. Does God ask for advice? I got to do something here. Um, anybody have any good ideas? Because I'm out of them right now. There's no self-will. It's God's will. It's God's will. Nobody's arguing. Nobody's debating it. Nobody's upset about it. Nobody even questions it. Nobody's sitting around the celestial water cooler saying, man, I don't know if God's going to pull this thing off. I'm not sure that was a bright idea on his part. Only here in this world do we question God's will, isn't it? You ever think about that? The only place in the universe where we're not sure God knows what he's doing is down here. But then he points out a very important thing. If you pray for God's will to be done and something happens, what do you need to be comfortable with? Yeah, that's God's will. See, our problem is when we pray, we have an idea in our mind of how God's supposed to pull it off, right? We pray for something. We say, this is the way I want God to answer this thing. How many times has God answered your prayer the way you wanted it answered? He has yet to answer my prayer the way I want him to. He has yet, he's never done it that way. Has he answered my prayer? Yeah, but he's always done it in a better way. Now he's taking a look at what's going on. He knows what is the best way Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he's going to handle it that way. And we don't quite understand why he didn't do it the way I wanted him to do it. But we only can see through hindsight, and frequently we are little long enough to see, oh, yeah, he knew what he was doing. I did. 
See, he sees the picture that we don't. You know, we have this idea that we know better. I, I'll be honest with you, I'm really glad God doesn't answer my prayers the way I want him to. Because if he did, he'd pro I'd probably mess things up. Can you, you know, imagine the mess things would be if he answered them your way? He's not going to do it the way you want. He never does. Gideon. If he did, the whole place would go to pot. It would. I mean, we, our problem is we see so... We don't see the whole picture. I'm sorry, you're... You, what we are, and we're not. See, we just like with your parents, you know, or as frustrating as that can be, um, there may be some other reason God's having you go through that Well, mom right now has got three nurses and three or four other people listening to the podcast every day. She's sitting there listening to my podcast and she's got the lady next in the bed next to her listening to it. You know, I mean I wouldn't have thought that, you know. So, but, but there are things, you're right, we don't see it. We don't see all the threads. If God came to you and said, Alan, I'm going to have you do this podcast, but I need your mother to go through these things so that I can reach some other people. That's the way he operates. Right. Most of us would say, don't put her through that. Don't put her through that. But see, here's the thing. God has a better idea. Gideon, right? How do I... Midianites, the Midianites are bad. They're oppressing us. Then Israel cries out, and God says, okay, I'll answer your prayer. But how did God answer the prayer of Israel? Did he answer it the way they thought he should? Now me, I, you know, I want to go 30,000 Midianites. I want about 300,000 on my side, and then we'll take care of this deal. God says, no, it doesn't work out that way. We'll put 300 against 30,000. Because at the end of the day, what is God trying to do? He's trying to make sure, and, and I, think, I think God sort of likes, it's almost like a, car, like a twisted way of thinking. God likes a challenge. God likes a challenge. Okay, I got 30,000 Midianites. We'll take 300 guys, and we'll, just, we'll solve this. And from the human perspective, it's nuts. Well, because but, if he used more, well, yeah, that was enough from a human standpoint. But when you have 300... The only explanation is he did it. Look at, look at Mount Carmel. You know, you got the prophets of Baal up there all day long. And so Elijah says, well, let's, let's do this. And what does Elijah do? He gives God a challenge. How does he give God a challenge? He soaks the altar to the point that there is no doubt that when God answers by fire, there's nobody questioning it. I wonder how he pulled that trick off. Me, you know, I want gasoline-soaked logs with, you know, uh, butane. I want to make sure this thing. God likes a challenge. I think it's also to show his presence that he's there. He's there. That this couldn't have happened except through, you know, through God's direction and so on. So yep. that's another thing. So he gets glorified through it, not, yeah. not us. He's pointing yep. to him. Yeah, that's our problem. We want, we want the accolades 
deep down inside us to go our way. No, God does not share his glory with us. And a lot of times when God does things in the Bible, it's to make sure that we understand clearly that if it wasn't for him, we'd be in deep trouble. He, doesn't want, he, he, wants, to get, he wants to get the glory. He wants you to see that he is there. But see, our idea is we come to God with our list of requests, and we have in the back of our mind, okay, God, this is how you should do this. And to this point, as far as I understand, there's no time in human history or eternal history where God's ever asked the advice of any of his creation on how he should do something. Does God need your advice, really? No, because our advice is flawed. We're not, we're not going to come up with the right answer. Ever. And what God is doing here, and what, what Paul is saying is, <clears throat> when I um, get my face, i got to look at me to open. Oh, come on. There we go. It's got to look at me to open my... Yeah, I need longer arms or something there. He said, I thank God for you. And he's not praying that the persecution will go down or that everybody would be healthy there and <clears throat> everybody would be prosperous. All he did was said, I'm just thankful that your testimony is spoken of throughout the entire world. Everybody's heard about the church at Rome. Everybody's heard about your faithfulness. Your faith is proclaimed. And I guess the question is, what do we want our church to be known for in Illyria? Church, oh yeah, that's that big church over there on 113. Oh, yeah, that's the big church that does this or that. Or is it, you know, God's over there. Their faith is proclaimed. And by the way, there's, an, there's a, another corollary truth to this, right? If I'm a member of the church at Rome and I'm an idiot, what's that telling about the church at Rome? Mm -hmm. See, you not only represent Christ, you represent the church, too. See, we don't think about that sometimes. We actually represent everything we're involved in. We do. I remember many years ago, my, somebody approaching my boss at Oberlin College and talking about a member that came here to open door and this guy is a Mormon and he um, approached my boss and said, you know, I know so-and-so goes to your church and I just want you to know I'm having all kinds of trouble with him at work here. You know, I just thought you might want to know. Now stop and think about that. Here's a Mormon going to my boss and he, he and I go to this church and this other guy goes to our church and this other guy is making us look bad. And I thought about that. You know, you don't do anything in a vacuum. You think, well, I'm just me. It's just No, you affect other people. I represent Church of the Open Door. If I go out there and I do something ungodly and people know I go to this church, what's it say about this church? I still remember the story that I remember MacArthur saying many years ago about a man that came up after service, this was many years ago, and was just really agitated. And he said, I had a horrible experience this week. And well, what is it? You know, and he said, well, I've been witnessing to this guy at work and, you know, tell him about Christ. And 
you know, I invited him to church. And he said, where do you go to church? And he said, well, I go to Grace Community Church. And the guy said, oh, I'd never go there. The most crooked lawyer in all of Los Angeles goes to that church. I'd never go to that church. I remember he McCarthy, I got up the next Sunday and I said, I don't know which one of you is the crooked lawyer, but would you please leave the church or get your act together? It makes us look bad. Paul is saying, I'm thankful that your faith is seen throughout the whole world. I'm thankful for that. See, we, we, we got to readjust what we're thankful for. Are we thankful for the testimony of other churches? Are we thankful that God... That, that's what Paul said in Philippians. He said, I don't care whether people speak ill of me or not. As long as Christ is honored, I don't care what people say about me. Do we think that way? I hate to say it. Sometimes I don't. No, because we're selfish. We're selfish. Paul's saying, I am so concerned about Christ and his name being glorified, I'll take the hit if it makes him look good. Well, it's like the story of the, the yeast. Yeah. You know, one person can define the entire mm -hmm. body. You know, the only difference between the lost running around and Christians in church is the Christians in church know they're sinners. Yeah. They know they're sinners. Yeah. The other ones don't know that. No. And what the wage of sin is death. And a lot of us think that we're better than we are. <laughs> we, you know, the older I get, the, I came around, I represent Christ to people around me. If, I'm, if I don't do a good job of that, I make him look bad. Do you care that you make God look bad? You should care, shouldn't you? That should probably temper some of your outbursts and temper tantrums and, I mean, that, my social presence, my social media presence is all, I make God look good or bad. I better keep my mouth shut on this topic. As much as I would like to, you know, send over that little nuclear scud missile to that person, I'm going to, I'm going to keep, I'm going to take my finger off the button and just, I make, I'm representing Christ. The difficulty is with that is no, no matter how good or how perfect you try to be, you're not going to make it. And people are going to see flaws here and there. And they, and they get the wrong perception about us being a Christian. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I'm a Christian, the Christ my Savior, then I, I, I should be perfect. Yeah. I shouldn't have any, any flaws or anything happen in my but I'm not. And how, and how you respond. As Christians, that, um, as, well, I mean, as humans we do, even though we're Christians, is that we have a tendency to put levels or yeah. Our numbers on sins. Well, mm -hmm. yeah, that wasn't right, but it's not as bad as that. Yeah. I'm not as bad as Denny is. Yeah. And, 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 and because of that. Don't set the bar very high. Yeah. <laughs> we don't really conceive of that everyone's a sinner. It doesn't yeah. matter how little yeah. or minor we might think it is versus somebody else's. It doesn't matter. Yeah. We're not going to be perfect, but can we represent Christ as best we can? That's what he wants, right? Do the best you can. I, I came to the conclusion a while back that no matter what I do, I'm always going to be short of, what, of perfection. But God's not looking for me to be perfect. He's looking for me to make an effort. He understands our frame. One of the 
Yeah. I can see that this is the right way to do it, but I was not really doing it unless right. I was doing it myself. Right. And you can't do it yourself. But but Christ more like Christ. We take, yeah. Are you better today at it than you were a year ago? We're never going to hit the perfection, are we? Why do you keep playing golf? I'm trying to figure out why I keep playing golf. You know, because I hope to get a little better at it. You know, I am. I, I you know, and some days I go out and hit the side. Wow, that's a Tiger Woods shot, and then I followed up with something that looks like. I don't even want to go there. You know, it's like what happened to that one? You know, but the whole point is. We're, we're going to strive towards that, but Paul is saying, generally, overall, your faith is proclaimed throughout the whole world. He's not talking perfection here. But when people think of you, do they see something positive in you about Christ? We're not talking perfection. We know that. We're flawed. But I think one of the things that helps us sometimes when we have to deal with our own carnality, our own sanctification. It's like, wait a minute, I'm representing Christ. I'm, I represent him. i got to watch this. And Paul is saying to them, your faith is proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Paul prayed for the churches. He prayed for these Christians at Rome. He said, God is my witness. I'm always praying for you guys. I'm always praying for you. I hate to say it, but one of the great struggles in my prayer life is I spend too much time on me and not enough on others. Do you guys, do you guys have that same problem? Whew, I thought I was alone on that one. No, we spend too much time praying for me, 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 my, my little world. And not enough time praying for others. Proportionally. Because see, we see us as the A player. You know, the A plot, the B plot, the C plot in the movie. We're the A plot. We're the main character. No, we're the... We might be the red shirt that gets blown up on the planet when they beam down. All right? We're not necessarily the A player, but we see it that way. I'm sorry, you're... Yeah, I, I find this to be... I like it. I go along doing things the way I think it should be done. And then it dawns on me. What would Jesus do? If we could go around, and if I could go around in life, before I do the blunders, yeah. and before the blunder I do, I would think, what would Jesus do? Mm -hmm. Well, we all know what Jesus would do, right? We all know what Jesus would have done in any situation we come into. Mm -hmm. And if we could just say, <laughs> but we can't. <laughs> no. We're out in our own little world, and then we do something that, is, that Jesus would not have done. And, uh, oh, yeah, he threw the uh, tax collectors out of the temple, and he did a lot of stuff that was good. He knew what was right. Mm -hmm. But, and he wasn't afraid to show emotion and judgment, uh, though he didn't go to the ultimate stream and zap them all. Um, but if we could only know, do as the things that come into our lives, we can now instantly do what Jesus would have done. 
Wouldn't it be just uh, yeah. wonderful? My problem is I don't find myself instantly doing that, but I'm starting to slow down a little bit and asking the question before I do do something stupid. Pardon? I'm slowing down and asking the question yeah. before I do something stupid. Right. Just slow down a little bit. There's yeah. something about being slow to speak and quick to hear. Mm -hmm. And social media is the bane on this. It's so easy to yeah. send, and it's like, what did I just do? <laughs> you know, Slow down, stop think and ask. Now, ultimately, are you going to know exactly what Jesus would do in every situation perfectly? <clears throat> no. But it's a question to ask, how should I respond? Think about it. Sam, you're going to... to being frustrated. I've got a couple situations in my family or others where they're doing things that are frustrating and I wish they would get it together, but the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, think about when you were the same way during yeah. Doing that, that, or that, or that, that, and that. And so, yes, of course, uh, I have grown, I have repented, I, you know, mm -hmm. but you gotta, Sammy, be more patient. Don't judge, don't question, do they know the Lord? Well, if we believe in what knowing the Lord really means, it's about Jesus, not us. Yeah. Yep. Um, think of Christ, too, when he was here on his ministry. He, he knew everything about everybody. If there's anybody that could have been frustrated, it could have been Christ. Because he knew the, perfectly everything. But yet he gave people time to grow, time to mature. We need to give people time to grow and time to mature. Yeah, we're, we're comparing each other to everybody else, and we sort of think that if I'm better than those people over there, then I'm okay. And what Christ is, or what Paul's saying here said, I thank God and I pray for you guys constantly. I'm thankful for your testimony, your witness, your faith throughout the whole world. I mean, Rome was the capital of the world at that time. And the news had started spreading about these Christians in Rome. And Paul says, I'm thankful. And I'm always praying for you. And I'm asking that somehow, by God's will, I may last succeed in coming to you. I want to come to you. I want to visit you. I want to visit your church. I want to see, I want to see the people that God is using and the faith that's spreading throughout the whole world. I want to go there. I want to see you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Why did Paul want to see them? Fellowship and to strengthen them. 
I want to come in and I want to encourage you. I want to strengthen you. But he said, but this is interesting. That is that we may be what? Mutually encouraged. It's not a one-way street. It's a mutuality of encouragement. Paul said, I, I'm praying that I would come to see you because I want to I want to be there. I want to minister to you to somehow. I want to impart some spiritual gift to you. The idea there of a spiritual gift is encouragement, um, admonishment, help, teaching, whatever. I want to come and I want to I want to you know strengthen you spiritually. But I also want to be mutually encouraged in the sense that I want to encourage you, but you encourage me. It's not just a one-way street. It's two ways. What encouraged Paul? What encouraged Paul is when he saw the faith of the churches. That encouraged him. One of the frustrating things, if you've been a Christian for any number of years, I'm 50 years now, over, over 50 years a Christian. And um, you get frustrated because you see people come and go, don't you? Yeah. And it's easy to become discouraged. You know, I, I, you, you teach, uh, I've been teaching for 32 years and I've known people over 32 years. You say the same thing 50 different ways and they still go off the deep end. And you're just like, what did I do wrong? But then you see those other people that just energize you. Because you see the Lord working in their heart. You, you get a mutual encouragement. It's not just you encouraging them, but they encourage you in turn. We encourage one another. Why is it that you need to meet together as a church and not do it over Zoom and Internet all the time? We need other people. We need other people. You know, one of the things that this COVID thing has done, I think, you look at our church attendance, there are people that used to come to our church, they say, ah, it's easy, enough, it's easy for me to stay at home and, you know, sip coffee in my jammies and listen to the gym than it is to get in the car and come to church. Now, that's better than nothing. I get that. I understand that. And if there's a reason for you to do that, go do it. But you need to be around other Christians. You need to be around. God created us as a social creature, did he not? What does that mean? We need each other. You go back to, it's interesting, you go back and look at the prairie, you know, the settlers out on the prairies. They each got, what, 60 acres of land, 63 acres of land, something like that. Where do they build their houses? If you go look at them, you had 63 acres and they built their houses on the corners of the acres next to one another. Why is that? You need people. Protects the Indians, but you need to be around other people. We need other people. We need other Christians. And Paul's saying, I want to come. I want to impart a spiritual gift. And I want to be mutually encouraged by each other's what? Faith. Paul did not, here's the thing. Paul did not see him as super Christian and the rest of them just neophytes at this deal. He was the apostle, but he did not walk around saying, I'm the apostle, listen to me, you know. He, he, always he, was. he remembered who he was and where he came from, and he said, we're all in this. God's gifted me differently, but listen, we're all in the same boat at the same level, 
And I get just as much encouragement from you as you do from me. And, and the Holy Spirit agreed with that statement because it's in the Bible. He did not see himself as super, you know, I'm the big shot in the room. He said, I, I, I get encouraged from you. No, I, I think it's just, yeah, I think in this case it's not, you get the spiritual gift at the time of your salvation. We're going to talk about that maybe two years from now when we get to Romans 12, all right? I'm not making that up, probably two years. Um, but the whole point there is that I think what he's saying is, what is his spiritual gifting? His spiritual gifting is teaching, encouragement. That's what he wants to impart to them, the encouragement, the teaching. It's not, I'm going to give you a spiritual gift. Yeah. My spiritual gift is teaching. It does not do me any good to stand in front of the mirror and speak to myself. My cats do not understand me. Stetson just wags his tail. It would do me no good to stand there and preach to myself or talk, teach myself. And Jim would not get any edification by preaching to himself in the mirror. How do I impart my spiritual gift to you? I teach. How do you impart your spiritual gift to me? You encourage me. We're all in this together. We're just gifted differently, that's all. That's all Paul's saying. I'm gifted differently than you, but I want to I come and encourage you. I want to invest in your life. And in doing so, you invest in mine because we're all in this together. And others around you, I'm not here, and you guys are, so you need to invest in each other. Right. To yeah. To show the gospel in your life. Yeah. Boy, that. But it's, that's what we should be doing. Yeah. I, mean, I want to be mutually encouraged by each other's what? Faith, both yours and mine. Well, no, no, I was just saying that, that just as, as, as Alan was saying, encouragement, encouragement. I don't think I've ever seen that as a, quote, spiritual gift, but, I mean, I'm sure that must be involved there, but uh, speaking in tongues, and the gift of helps, helping people. I mean, that's something that can be done very easily. People are in need, let's say, uh, like when we're at, at, at the uh, village and we're having uh, there's a lot of people that are in motorized wheelchairs and have, when they get out and they get on a chair, well, then I, helps is to help them. Yeah. And if that's not encouragement, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, the, the, the thing about spiritual gifts, all spiritual gifts in the Bible are meant to encourage, for the other person, not for you. There's not a single spiritual gift that God gives you to edify you. It's always to edify the other person. And all Paul is saying is, I want to come there. I've been trying to come there. I've not been dissing you. Yeah. Because I want to encourage you, and then you encourage me. It's a two-way street. 
It's not one way. I want to be strengthened. And I've often wanted to come to you, but I, I've been hindered. I've been prevented. I've not had the opportunity. Yeah, like using a slammer. <laughs> well, you just, I, I haven't had an opportunity to get there. I've been wanting to come because yeah. I keep hearing about your faith. I've just not been able to pull it off. It, and I don't want you to think that it's not because I don't want to show up. I don't want you to think that I'm trying to diss you in any... I just haven't had the ability to get there yet. Well, he says in the, in the, in the verse there, verse 10, that uh, in my prayers at all times I pray that now at last, by God's will, I may I, have opened the way to get there. Yeah. Not the way he might have. Now, did Paul eventually get to Rome? Yeah, but he probably didn't plan it that way, did he? In fact, Paul showed up in Rome in A.D. 62, which is six years after probably writing this book. But he got an all-expense-paid trip. He didn't even have to come up with the money on his own to make the trip there. That's the way God operates. But Paul is saying to these people, and this is the takeaway, we, we are Christians in a community we're not Rambo Christians. We're not off on our own in the woods, you know, hacking our way through the jungle. We need other people. We encourage other people. Our spiritual gift is given to assist other people, to encourage them. And what we find is as we minister our spiritual gift, there is a blowback that comes our way that we are encouraged. I get energy out of teaching every Sunday. Yeah, I'm giving energy in, but I'm getting more back. Because we're in this together. And that's what Paul's saying. I've come, and, and, and notice what he's saying here. There's no pecking order in this deal with him. He, yeah, he's the apostle. He's the one sent by God. But he's saying, I'm not coming and just doling into your life and getting nothing in return. We want to be mutually encouraged, mutually build up, mutually minister to one another. And I pray for you constantly that I'd be able to do that and come and see you. Because I wanted to come to you. I just haven't had an opportunity yet. Reminds me of, behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. Yeah. So here's the thing. If, if you're walking in the Spirit and the other person is walking in the Spirit, what is true? Yeah. If angle A is equal to angle B, and angle C is equal to angle B, then angle C is equal to angle A. I think I got that right. We got the math, physics lady here. Yeah. But the whole point there is that, is that so whenever you have discord in the body of Christ, one or the other, or both, are not doing what? Not walking in the Spirit. Right. Yeah. If, if you have disunity, somebody's not walking in the Spirit. And that's what Paul's praying. Well, we'll pick up here next week. Time flies, doesn't it? It does. It goes fast. Well, at least nobody's falling asleep yet in the class, so that's a good thing. No, that was um, 
when he went to Ephesus, he was in Ephesus, do I go northeast, west, and south? And he said, I was from the south. I went to go north. That didn't work. Holy Spirit said, don't go east. And then he waited in Ephesus and went west. So, Father, thank you again for this day and for this teaching. And I, I pray that we would ponder this truth, that we are here to minister to one another. Nobody's above anybody else in this deal. From your perspective, we're all at the same level. We all need each other. And we all need to focus on what is important. We need to realize that we reflect you to other people, to unbelievers, to our world. We're going to make you look good or bad. I pray that we think about that, Father. May it change the way we live and the way we act and the way we think. And again, thank you for this day of teaching us and for this wonderful time in your word. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.